Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Hi, good morning, church. Good morning to you. Well, today we'll be preaching from the book of Amos on the remnant in the book of Amos. There are four things, four defining traits of the remnant. You see, if the prophet Amos is here today, he would feel a sense of deja vu. He lived in a time very much like ours when society was changing rapidly and radically. Wow, the whole of 2020 was changed. You see, both Israel and Judah were not at war with their neighbours. This meant that their wealth and energies could be channeled to national development. Both kingdoms were prosperous, their cities were expanding rapidly, and a new wealthy merchant class was developing in society. Similarly, right here, right now, our world has more millionaires and billionaires than ever in the history of our time. The two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, were moving from an agricultural to a commercial society and experiencing both the benefits and problems that came with it. But in all their material wealth, all was not well. Not well with God's chosen people. They were experiencing what the British poet Oliver Goldsmith wrote back in 1770. He said, Ills fares the land to hastening ills a prey, where wealth accumulates and men decay. All is not well too with our world and society today. You just have to look around, watch the news, read the social media feeds. Over 2,700 years has passed, and yet Amos implicit call to the remnant of Israel back in the 8th century BC still holds true, still rings loud and continue to reach deeply into God's people today. More than ever, God's clarion call to His church is to be the true remnant. The true remnant who will see Him, hear Him, seek Him and hope in Him. So, let me get to the first point about this remnant in Amos. It is to be the remnant that sees God. The very well-known American author and social activist, Helen Keller, who is both blind and deaf, once said this. She said, The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. Seeing is everything. How we see influences what we see. How we see influences what we see. What we see determines how we think, how we speak, how we act, and how we live. Let me give you an illustration. You know, we all have sunglasses. You know, if we see things through tinted glasses, everything that we see becomes tinted with the color of the glasses. Right now in this studio, things look darker, it seems as if it's evening, it's coming to night time. You know, it alters our vision and our understanding of what reality really is. And therefore, our interactions 
with it. These sunglasses represent anything that affects how we see things, how we see people, and how we see life. A big part of discipleship is about seeing. In seeing who God is, we see who we really are. When we see who we really are in light of who God really is, it changes our discipleship. Of course, no one can see God and still live. But it's a different kind of seeing. It's not about physical sighting, but about truth, seeing of who God is. When we see God aright, we see ourselves aright. When we see ourselves aright in who God truly is, we live in Him aright, follow Him aright, serve Him aright. The inability to see, the inability to see God and see themselves is at the crux of Amos' prophecies to Israel. Israel was spiritually blind because they could not see what they are, what they are to be, what they have become instead, and therefore what they must do. They could not see how special a people they are in God. They can't see how good, how gracious, how patient their God is. God in Amos 3 verse 2 said this, You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. This is very emotive language used by the Lord. Paraphrase, to bring out its force and emotions from the original language, it sounds like this. You only, yes, you have I chosen, have I personally known of all the nations of the earth. Five times in Amos, God used the first person possessive pronoun, my people, to refer to Israel. Not the people or not that nation, no. Of all the nations of the world, God chose and God knew Israel, a people belonging to His family. You see, Israel had forgotten the great Shema confession of Deuteronomy 6, 4-5, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. They could not see what they are because they could not see who God is to them. The phrase for three transgressions and for four occurred eight times in Amos chapter 1 to 2. And it is a Jewish idiom for three transgressions and for four. It's a Jewish idiom to mean an indefinite number that has finally come to an end. In other words, God has been bearing with Israel for all of their sins, their rebelliousness, time and time and time and time again. And it has come to an end. Five times God lamented in Amos chapter 4. God lamented that despite all His disciplinary actions and efforts, God said, Yet you have not returned to me. They could not see a God who loves them, who is merciful, who is gracious, who is utterly patient towards them. So, if seeing is so important, what makes it so difficult for us to see clearly and properly? Lest we think we are better than Israel. No, we are not. See, how we see, or how well we see, is affected by the dysfunctions of our souls 
And all of us, me included, have dysfunctions. If we grow up in a disciplinarian and very harsh environment with no room for mistakes, then all we see is a God who is unloving and we, the unloved child. If we grow up with very indulgent parents uh, with no boundaries whatsoever, we get to do anything and everything, we get everything we want, then perhaps we expect God to be the same, to be the indulgent God. And we are the privileged child. Or if our life experiences tells us that others only care about our performance, they don't care about us or our contributions, then God is this demanding God and we are just slaves. Or if we grew up in a disadvantaged background where everything is a constant strife, then God is just an absentee God who doesn't care and we, the forgotten child. Or if you grow up in an abusive environment or you have been abused in any form, in any way, then God becomes this evil God and we are the helpless, victimized child. You see, our experiences, the dysfunctions of our souls cause us to see God in certain ways. These are just some examples. There are many more, but you get the picture. The first and foremost trait of the remnant is that they see who their God is aright. And in seeing God aright, they see who they are aright. You see, we, we have to take off our sunglasses. All of us walk around with sunglasses defined by our experiences, our upbringing, our failures, our successes. And we have to rewrite the inner scripts in our minds, our hearts, our soul, by which we see things, life and others, and we see ourselves and the way we see God. The second defining trait of the remnant of God is that this is a remnant that hears God. See, seeing is crucial but by itself, insufficient. Why? Because we are sinful and deceitful, that's why. And as mentioned earlier, we bring our dysfunctions along with us. That's why seeing and hearing goes together and the Lord designed us that way. Proverbs 20.12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Psalms 94.9 puts it this way, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eyes, does he not see? Seeing who God is and therefore who we are in light of who God is must be accompanied by hearing what God has to say about us and to us and very importantly, about himself. You see, five times Amos told Israel to hear the word of the Lord in chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 7, and chapter 8, five times. Twice, Amos declared that the Lord has roared aloud His word and therefore we must hear the Lord. All of us have heard God's word. Read God's word. Question is, are we hearing God's word? Are we hearing the Lord Himself? Having heard, or read God's Word, it's not the same as hearing God's Word. To hear God's Word is to heed God's Word, is to obey God's Word. Hearing God's Word is an ongoing thing in the remnant's discipleship and life. Hearing God's Word 
obeying it and living by it is not for God's sake. God doesn't need it. God is self-sufficient. God is all-knowing. God doesn't need us to do these things for His sake, but rather, it is for our sake. See, when we hear God's Word and live by it, it does something slowly but miraculously. It slowly rewrites. See, God's Word rewrites the old sinful, dysfunctional inner scripts we carry around with us with which we see the world, with which we see things, which we see God. And therefore, that colour, that colour that we put over us is how we see God. See, C.S. Lewis in his book, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, the sun, but because by it, I see everything else. It's profound. We see the sun. The question is, do we see everything else by the light that the sun sheds for us? Lewis was talking about a new script that changed him from the inside out. You see, God's Word is not meant to strap us down. No. Many of us look at the, the Word of God as if it's like a book of do's and don'ts. It's like the, it's like the cosmic and a divine wet blanket. Kill joy. See, because we bring our inner script to God's Word. But God's Word is not meant to strap us down, but to free us from our old sinful, dysfunctional inner scripts so that, so that we may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that in John 10, 10. We need a new God script. And only God can remove our old dysfunctional script and replace it with a new God script. And this God script is found in His Word. And this Word is about God. This new God script is God Himself. If hearing is so important to the remnant, to the disciple of God, again, I ask a the question, then what makes it so difficult? We all know. I'm not telling you anything new, right? We all know. So what makes it so difficult? The distractions in our lives. That's why. See, we live in an age of indulgent infobicity, of instant gratification, of insatiable consumption and of impatient pragmatism. We want our Christianity to just work and to just be easy. Why must God be so difficult? Why must the Christian life be so painful? We just want our Christianity to work and to be easy, to be quick and to be painless. But that's not how the Christian life or any life works because God is interested in transforming us to remove the old script, to replace it with a new script by which we see God and hear God afresh. So what must we do to cut these distractions, remove and replace? Let me speak in more contemporary, younger language. Huh? Facebook-less, Instagram-less, Snap-less, whatever-less, post-less. 
I, I know of many people who are constantly posting everything from Chai Kui Tiao to Chai Tao Kui, to their dog, to their cat, to anything. Post less. Read God's book more. And post more into your journal. Spotify less. Netflix less. YouTube less. Hear God more. Walk with Him more. Less online news feeds and feed more on God's Word. Simple things. It may sound superficial, but these are things that we can start to remove and replace. And then there are others, other serious things like addictions, pornography, addictions to gaming, addictions to pornography. And some of these things Pastor Edmund Chan talks about last Sunday in his sermon. So my simple point is this, until and unless we remove the distractions in our lives, And then we have to replace it. We remove the distractions in our lives. We have to replace it with something that is far deeper, something that is going to change our inner script. Otherwise, all these old things will come back and crowd out our heart from the Lord. We have to remove the distractions in our lives and replace it. Replace it with God's Word. Replace it with a new God script. You see, He will not be able to rewrite the dysfunctional scripts of our soul unless we choose to remove it and allow God to come in with His Word, with Himself, with the Holy Spirit to rewrite. Let me tell you a story about hearing God's Word. You know, we started the Scion Ministry, Covenant Young Adult Network Ministry, well, I think eight, nine years ago. And we had this Covenant Young Adult Network Seminar on marketplace discipleship. And so I remember very clearly, we had some 200 plus 20, 30-year-olds turn up for this afternoon seminar about discipleship in the marketplace. That was one of the big things with young people, marketplace, relationship, and things like this. So I can't remember exactly what the, the topics were in the seminar other than the theme, but I remember the segment during the Q&A very clearly. We had a teacher, a lawyer, and a banker on the panel for this Q&A. And if I remember correctly, a doctor as well. And in all, all their uncoordinated responses as the questions came in, their responses were not coordinated. But yet there was something common in all their sharing about their Christian walk, about their discipleship. They all shared, uncoordinated, on their own. They all shared that they all began their day in the Word of the Lord, with the Word of the Lord. And I remember a couple of them said, if they don't begin the day with the Word of the Lord, something is amiss. There's just no shortcut. There's no magic key to our discipleship. Between them was over 60 to 80 years of Christian discipleship. But the hearing of the Word of God was what centered them and empowered them. If God cannot get through the distractions of our lives and therefore unable to rewrite the dysfunctional scripts in our souls, somewhere, sometime, somehow, God will act. God will act to get our attention just like what He did with Israel. Why? Because we are His people. He loves us. He loves us too much to leave us like that. The third point is to be the remnant that seeks God. 
See, the remnant that hears God, hears God from His Word, sees God. The remnants that sees God, seeks God. This is the third defining trait. The remnant that seeks God. Five times Amos said to Israel to hear God's words. Five times God lamented that Israel have not returned despite His interventions. Three times God tells Israel to seek Him, to seek Him, to seek Him so that they may live. God's desire for Israel to seek Him is not that of an egotistical, narcissistic, despotic, insecure God. No! God don't need any of our adulation or seeking Him. No, God wants Israel to seek Him so that they might live. See, of course, the context in Amos is an Israel that has gone wayward and rebellious and had forgotten God again and again and again and again through the centuries for three transgressions and four, right? The complete, utter disregard for God and the worst of the hypocrisy of it all to pretend that they are worshipping God when they are not. And so if they wish to live, God is saying, then hear God, see Him, return to Him and seek Him. See, but lest we think uh, that's uh, God's way of bargaining with us. Uh, That's not God's way of bargaining with us. See, that has always been God's desire for His chosen people. It's always been to live and to live well. Here's what God said to Israel 700 years before Amos. 700 years. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 39 to 40, it says, Know therefore today and take it to your heart that the Lord, He is God in heaven, above and on earth below. There is no other. You shall keep His statutes and His commandments, which I'm giving you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may live long on the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all times. God didn't say, you behave like that and then I'll give you the land. You behave like that, then I'll bless you. You behave like that, then I'll do it. God did not say that. God blessed His people. God took them out of Egypt. God saved them. God made them a special people. And God say, here is a land, the promised land I give to you. And I want you to live well, not just for you, your generation, but for you and your children, that you may live well and live long in the land. Just see me, hear me, seek me. It's important how we read this passage and hear God's heart and see who God is. So let me explain with an illustration. Now, will you indulge me even if you are at home? Now, close your eyes. Think of something beautiful. Think of something wonderful in your life. It could be your beautiful wife or your handsome husband. It could be your beautiful children. All children are beautiful to their parents. Or it could be a beautiful piece of art. Or it could be your spanking new beautiful car that you bought. Whatever it may be, something that pleases you. Why think about it. How does it make you feel? Does it bring a smile to your face? Does it give you a deep sense of satisfaction? You know, Jessie, my wife, she's my wife for 28 years. We just celebrated our uh, our 28th anniversary 
uh, just a little more than a week ago. And she's a friend of mine, a very, very close friend of mine for 40 years. We do not have a perfect marriage. But cliche as it may sound, but it is really true. I feel complete. I feel complete with her in my life. With her, we had three beautiful kids. Cliche as it may sound, but I feel full. Yeah? I think we all understand that feeling, isn't it? It's an indescribable feeling. Another example, this watch. This watch is very special to me. It's very special to me. When I look at this watch, by the way, I hardly wear it because it's very expensive by my standard. But not because I bought it. No. In my previous life, in a secular world, in a corporate world, my team and I, we earned it. The whole team, each of us earned a watch like this. We earn it. So when I look at this watch, I don't just admire that it's a nice watch, that it's an expensive watch. I look at it and it brings to me memories of the wonderful time that I had with my team. When, like what they say in a secular term, we you know, you know, we, we, we conquered many things. We, we achieved different things. And it, it brings to me, I remember the friendship. I remember the friends. And it gives me a sense of, of joy when I look at this watch. See, humans derive joy and satisfaction in other people. Don't you think so? Humans derive joy and satisfaction in other people that they love, people who love them, or they derive satisfaction in things. Either it reminds them of something or things because their work of art, they're beautiful, for example, or experiences that they treasure. See, it's like that, you see, because God created us this way. <laughs> and God knows that. See, God does not want us to just seek Him because He commanded us. God desires that we seek Him so that we may live. Not just in a negative sense that He may relent in His judgment, but more so in a positive sense that we may find our greatest joy and our ultimate satisfaction in Him. If we derive joy and satisfaction from anything beautiful, then when we see God, when we truly see God, and hear God, and hear His heart, hear His word, and seek Him, then we will know that God is the most beautiful and the most perfect being there is. The only being that loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son for us. See, if we derive joy and satisfaction from the people we love, and who loves us in return, then God is the only and the penultimate person who loves us completely, perfectly, infinitely, eternally. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. What do you think it meant? Jesus wants us to seek God not just because He commanded us, but to seek Him for our sake. Because God is the only person that when we seek Him, 
all our thirst, all our longing, all the void, this God-shaped void that's creating us will be filled. See, the Apostle Paul declared his greatest fulfillment in Galatians 2.20 this way. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in a Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. No one gave up anything for anything or anyone unless that anything or that anyone is worth it. And the Apostle Paul said, I gave up everything. In Philippians 2, he described everything as rubbish compared to what he has found in God. That's why God wants us to seek Him because when we seek Him, we have life, not just that we will live, but we will have life, abundant life, life to the fullest. And our discipleship takes on a different quality, takes on a different substance. And that's what defines the remnant. So, Again, I ask the question, what makes seeking God so difficult? If it's so important, why is it so difficult? A divided heart. A divided heart. We have a divided heart because we have a distracted mind. We have a distracted mind because we have a dysfunctional soul. The opposite to a divided heart is not merely a united heart or an integrated heart. Yes, but more than that. The opposite of a divided heart is a loyal heart. A loyal heart that seeks God. Because in seeking God, we see a God that loves us, a God that does everything that we might have life and have it abundantly. A loyal heart that loves only one God and not multiple gods. No other graven images, the Lord says, for our good. The only solution to a divided heart is to return to the Lord. Like what God calls us to do in the book of Amos, to return to the Lord, to hear His word and to seek Him afresh and anew. I'm going to come to the end of my sermon this morning about the remnant in Amos. And the fourth thing, the fourth defining trait of the remnant is to be the remnant that hopes in God. You see, Amos is a book of judgment. Of the 146 verses in nine chapters, 141 verses were dominated with prophetic messages and visions of doom and gloom for a rebellious and unfaithful Israel. Yet, the book concluded with just five verses, but five profound verses in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 15, with a brilliant message of hope for their future. And what is this message? The Lord will rebuild Israel the Lord will restore their privileges and the Lord will restore their prosperity and restore their protection. Yes, Israel would not and did not escape God's inevitable judgment on them. History told us so. But God will shake the house of Israel, but He will not destroy it. Amos chapter 9, verses 8 to 9. The remnant will be saved, but the rebels will be judged. See, when God judges, let's, let's make no mistake about it. His judgments are punitive. But we must also see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and seek Him with our hearts 
to know that God's judgments are also meant to be redemptive and restorative. His faithfulness to His covenant and to His people and His mercy always prevails. Even in two of Amos' vision of judgment, God relented. God relented His judgment at the pleading of Amos despite Israel's utter unfaithfulness and sinfulness. And Amos ended his book pointing us back to the redemptive and restorative work of God in His remnant and calls us and calls the remnant to hope in God because He will rebuild and restore His people, His remnant to Himself. Israel has a special place of privilege among the nations, but it is not a privilege of position, of prestige, but a privilege of calling and mission to the nations. In Acts chapter 15, verses 16 to 17, the elder James cited Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 12. And he understood that that passage meant that the messianic rule inaugurated by Jesus' resurrection included all the nations in God's blessing. And this is exactly what God promised Abraham in Genesis 12. That's why the apostle Peter wrote this in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvellous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The church is this people of God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We now partake and share in this privilege that once belonged to Israel. We are now His people. We are now a people for God's own special possession. We are the remnant of God. So like Israel, we have a special place of privilege. But like God's intent for Israel, this is not a special privilege of position or prestige, but a privilege of calling and mission. And this is a remnant. This remnant with this calling and with this mission is a remnant that sees God, hears God, and in seeing and hearing God, seeks God and God alone for God Himself. And this remnant that seeks God find their greatest joy in Him because they found their greatest hope in a God who is faithful and a God who covenants and who is faithful to this covenant, who is gracious, loving and mercy. And a God that points us to a glorious future where He will rebuild and restore all things. This is the remnant that brings this hope. This hope that you and I have to those who do not yet know this covenanting, faithful God. And this God who loved the world so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So there we have it. The remnant in Amos. The remnant that sees God, hears God, seeks God and hopes in God. I'm going to close us in 
this sermon in prayer. I want to challenge those of us who are, most of us here who are Christian. How do you see God? Are you hearing God? Are you seeking God? What is your hope? Is your hope in the things of this world? Or is your hope in God? So I'm going to pray for you. But before I do that, I also want to speak to those of us here who are listening to this online church, this online service. You may not yet be a Christian. And today you hear the message. And you say, I want to know who this God is. Who is this God that desires for us to see Him and hear Him? And to see Him and hear Him and then therefore to seek Him and to see this God that loves us, this God that is gracious and patient, and this God that offers to us a future that is glorious and beautiful. And if you want to receive Christ, you want to receive this God into your life, it's very simple. You just have to take this one simple step of faith. And this simple step of faith is prayer. If there's nothing stopping you, you've been considering, you've been thinking, that's why you're listening to this message maybe, then what's, what's causing you not to do it? My encouragement for you is take this little step of faith by praying. So I'm going to help you with this. I will pray. You just pray after me. Okay? So let's close our eyes. Allow me to pray. You pray after me if you would like to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour and to experience this God for yourself. Dear Lord Jesus, I hear about you, about God who loved me. Lord, I want to believe. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart so that it might open my eyes to see you, open my ears to hear you, open up my heart to seek you, so that, Lord, I might hope in you. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Please accept me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer after me, then what you have just done is invited Jesus into your heart, into your life. You are now a believer. You are now a Christian. Welcome into the kingdom of God. So at the end of this uh, message, there's a QR code. Uh, we would like you to scan the QR code so that one of us might call you and have a chat with you and explain a little more to you about this Christian life. I came into the gathering of the people of the Lord and found my way among them to His throne. I needed to return unto the altar of my God to renew again my covenant with Him. And there I built an altar to Oh,
to discover the first love we once had shared, rekindling the fire deep within. I found the lamp still flickering in the temple of my Lord, and poured a horn of oil unto the flame. And there I built an altar to His name, and realized my life would never be the same. And then the fires of revival came sweeping through my soul, and I touched the Okay, so now is a time where you can get together with your CG or your family. Uh, there are two questions I'd like you to reflect on and to discuss. First question is this. How can you hear God better? How can you hear His Word better? What are some practical things that you can do to hear God's Word? That's the first question. The second question is, in hearing God's Word, what are some things in my life I need to change so that I may seek God. So these are the two questions. Ah, please, I have a wonderful time in sharing and praying. Come, shall we all raise our hands to the Lord as I pray the benediction for, for us? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask, dear Lord, that you speak into our hearts deeply and not just speak into our hearts, but change our hearts. And in changing our hearts, cause us to walk with you cause our discipleship to be vibrant and to be vital. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. See you. Bye.
were glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word, and we hope that the message has ministered to you. Should you require more assistance, kindly call 6892-6811 or you can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.